Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father and God, this morning as we open your word, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open our hearts. This is a message that you've laid upon my heart. In a time and day where everything around us has been designed to keep us from the main thing. And so this morning we pray that you'll take these words and anoint them with your power and presence and find the heart that is fertile and find the life that desires the real thing. This I ask in your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. About 25 or so years ago, maybe even more than that, my wife and I were in Honolulu, Hawaii. We went, don't know what the reason was, I think we were stopping back, maybe from Australia, and we decided to stay there for a few days and get to know Honolulu in a way we had not known it before. We were in a hotel, and after church on Sabbath, we had fellowship lunch, And they said, well, the beach is not too far from here. It's not a beach where people tend to go and swim, but it'll give you a beautiful view of the ocean. And we had not been to that side of the island before, so we said, well, where is it? So we decided to go to that side of the island. But a day before that, we were in our hotel room and thumbing through the channels, and we came across a very well-known man by the name of David Copperfield. Some of you may remember that name. He's a master illusionist. And I was sitting on the bed, and my wife got drawn in by that. I said, honey, don't mess with that. It's not what you think it is. So she said, well, I'm going to play along. So David Copperfield decided to go ahead and said, okay, we're going to put some numbers on the screen and tell me what number you picked and, you know, the... He went through the whole thing, and I said, honey, you don't want to mess with that. She said, this is fascinating. I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm thinking, I'm not messing with that. (laughs) Because I know there's something more to an illusion. An illusion itself is an illusion of something deeper and darker. So she played along, and I thought, she said, well, how, how can he possibly pick the number I chose? When there are probably thousand, maybe hundreds of thousands of people watching this program that are picking different numbers. There's no way that he could come up with the number I picked. Well, I'm sitting back on the bed, getting further and further away from my wife, just in case she decides to combust. And as the devil would have it, he, she picked the number that he picked. And he said, is this your number? And she said, ah! How did he know? I said, honey, you just played around with a power that you're not aware of. Well, the very next day when we went to that beach, I hadn't made the connection. That very next day when we went to the beach, we just walked from our car maybe to that wall, looked at the beach, looked around at the rocks, and then walked back to our car. And in that short span of time, our car was broken into. Both of our wallets were stolen. 
all our credit cards, all of our money. Thank God it was before there was a need to show identification to get on the plane. And I went back to the hotel and did a boohoo video. There was no Facebook back then. There was no internet postings. There was nothing. that I just did it on my phone. How we both just got robbed, and the very next day, Sunday, we were leaving. Thank God there was no need for identification. All of our credit cards were stolen. We had them tracked by the credit card companies, and before you know it, they had run up all our credit cards. To, but praise God, he took care of it. Amen, somebody. But the point I want to make is when you enter into a situation and confront somebody whose number one aim is to distract, to elude and to deceive and to take you beyond the point of reality to gain access to your mind, the Bible says, give no place to the devil. And I learned something that day. And ever since then, I've always looked at magicians and illusionists not as just people that are good at a craft, but they're laying the foundation for the master illusionist of all when Satan comes to personate the appearing of Christ. So many of us may ask, what is, an, what is an illusion? An illusion is an attempt to be persuaded to believe something that is not real. It is also a desire for something to be true when in fact it is not. It can also be a way to define delusion as is to see with the mind and not with the eyes. You know, people tend to see what they want to see. But I'm going to begin by sharing with you the scripture of the day, and then I'm going to show with you how significant it is that what you see on the screen is in fact the direction of reality that I want to spend the majority of my time today. This passage is not an illusion. John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only, say it together, true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. It is the aim of the kingdom of darkness to keep us from knowing the only true God. In a world where fabrication is the way that most things are marketed, they appeal to your senses, to your emotions, to your desire to have a pleasurable experience, either in something that's digital or something that's physical or something that's emotional or something that's sexual. Our world is designed to say to you that if you participate, you will have an emotional feeling or a satisfaction that will be far beyond your perceived understanding. So today, the reality of an illusion is people see what they want to see. Case in point, what do you see? Do you see a young lady with a wonderful hairstyle whose face is turned away? Or do you see an old woman whose nose is long and whose mouth is open? What do you see? An illusion gets you to see one thing or the other. While both are there, sometimes you see the obvious because your mind is tuned that way. Sometimes you see the obscure because your mind is tuned that way. What do you see? It depends on what you're seeing with your eyes or with your mind. Case in point again, 
You see two people standing by the river, but what else do you see? Do you see a nice big fat baby who has been carved into the woodwork of the illusion? His feet are in the top of the tree branch. His head is to the far left. It's an illusion intended for you not to really see what's actually right in front of you. That is the power of illusion. You see what you want to see, and sometimes an illusion can be so great, you become obsessed with the obvious when, in fact, God is trying to take you beyond the thing that is right before you to something far deeper, or sometimes Satan is trying to put something before you when, in fact, behind it is something much darker. That's the power of an illusion. I say to you today, Eve's deception in the garden was accomplished by a manufactured illusion. When you go back to the account of the book of Genesis chapter 3, you find that Satan convinced Eve that God was withholding from her her, her true potential. He suggested that you can be far greater off if you simply follow my suggestion. But in fact, it was just an illusion. We find in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5 these words. The first elusive statement made between the serpent and a woman who was about to be deceived by an illusion. He said to Eve, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be what? Opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This illusion was saying to Eve, you can become something other than you are when in fact, if you really consider how God created man, he created man in his image after his own likeness. But God did not create man to replace him. God created man to reflect the glory of a perfect character. But this illusion came forth and you know the rest of the story. You see, the frustration about this story is when I read it, I think to myself, how could Eve, who had everything, whom God gave access to everything, how could she have been deceived by a suggestion that she can have more when she already has everything? It was an illusion. The reality was in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 29. And I say Eve's deception was accomplished through a manufactured illusion. The Lord put that on my heart. Her deception was accomplished through a manufactured illusion. Satan studied her to see what was necessary to gain access to her mind. We read in Genesis 1 and verse 29 the facts about what God had done. And God said, speaking to Adam, I have given you Every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of how much of the earth? All the earth. And every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. I've read that passage thousands of times. But as I was putting my message together yesterday, Donna, I thought to myself, how many trees were there on the face of all the earth? Let's, let's, let's play with that for a moment. If Adam was in Thompsonville, God is saying, I've given you access to trees in Australia. When you get to Australia, there'll be trees there for you. Did that hurt? 
Let me make it even darker. Let me make it even broader, not darker. Let me make it even deeper. You're the only guy on the planet. Nobody's going to mess with your tree before you do. Y'all get that on Tuesday. God was saying, Adam and Eve, wherever you put your foot on this planet, except for one small spot, it's all yours. I mean, we look back at that story and we ask ourselves the question, what was wrong with Eve? And what was wrong with Adam? Adam was deceived. She was beguiled, the Bible says. Um, Eve was deceived, beguiled. But Adam went into it with his eyes wide open. God had given her everything for her happiness. And an illusion says to you, that's really not true happiness. Happiness is going down this road, going down this path. And as Christians, God has made available to us everything that can bring true, lasting happiness. So what happens to take Christians down a path where, where they think happiness is, but it results in sadness and disappointment and discouragement and frustration? I suggest to you today, we are very much like Eve in many ways. Look at this quotation from the book Councils on Diets and Foods, page 145. Eve had everything. Eve had what? Everything to make her happy. She was surrounded by fruit of every variety. Mangoes on one side, peaches on the other, strawberries, blueberries. I, the list goes on and on. There are fruits in the Philippines that are not here, and there are fruits that are here that are not in the Philippines. There are fruits in New Guinea that are not in the Philippines and not in Australia. There are fruits in Australia that are not any place but Australia. But she had access to every fruit of every variety. But listen to this. Yet the fruit of the, of the forbidden tree appeared more desirable. That's what an illusion does. It makes you think that there's something you have not yet been able to accomplish or experience, and that is the way to do it. Go down the path of something that God forbids, but to you, an illusion makes it appear to be desirable. The tree appeared more desirable to her than the fruit of all the other trees in the garden of which she could freely eat. <laughs> I don't know if you have any children, but you ever see, if you ever see your children, don't touch that, and what do they do? Exactly what you told them not to do. We're just like our parents. Some of us adults do the same thing. When I say to people, don't look, what do you think they do? They look. You almost have to use reverse psychology on people to get them to do, in fact, what they should do. This story is an indication that when your desire goes outside of God's permissible will, you are about to step into the place of an illusion that will not remind you of how dark it really was until, like Samson, you're grinding at a mill and your eyes no longer function. It's all an illusion. We even have that in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. Notice this. This is what we are promised. We are promised this in the preamble. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among that among these are together life, liberty, and the 
pursuit of happiness. Now, when you go through that and you read the Constitution, I'm one of those weird guys that have a copy of the Constitution, have a copy of the Bill of Rights. I have these little books that sometimes I carry with me. I like to know my rights. But nowhere in the Constitution itself are there provisions to protect your pursuit of happiness. The Constitution promises to protect your pursuit of life and liberty, but the Constitution does not promise to protect your pursuit of happiness. It's an illusion. Because if they promised to protect your pursuit of happiness, they would have to then say, how do you define happiness? I'm going to protect your pursuit of illegal drugs or immorality or, or, or pornography or, or drugs or alcohol. I will stand behind your right to go down any path of destruction and we will give you constitutional protection as you pursue happiness. But there is no pursuit. There is no protection in the Constitution. There's no provision made to protect and provide you coverage while you're pursuing happiness. Each person has to go down that path on his or her own accord and become completely responsible for the impact on your own life. Amen. When we lived in Northern California, in Placerville, we would drive to Lake Tahoe every now and then, and along the way, you'd see people that are hitchhiking. And I thought to myself, why would people be hitchhiking at 4,000 feet, 5,000 feet, 7,000 feet? It seemed really odd. And somebody said, oh, those are the people that drove to Lake Tahoe and lost all their money in the casinos. Now they're hitchhiking back to Placerville or Sacramento. Those are the people that got pulled in by the illusion that you can beat the house. It's all an illusion. It's designed to tap your desire but leave you unfulfilled. It's all an illusion. There was a study done that I'm going to share with you right now. It was TheGuardian.com. This was published on January 21st, 2021 by Psychology Magazine. The article was entitled, Why It's Time to Stop Pursuing Happiness. The person conducting the study was a lady by the name of Iris Moss at the University of California, Berkeley. And here's what the study revealed. She says, The participants were first asked to rate how much they agreed with a series of statements such as, I value things in life only to the extent that they influence my personal happiness. And secondly, and I'm concerned about my happiness even when I feel happy. <laughs> I'm concerned about my happiness even when I feel happy. They have deeper issues. It goes further. The people who scored highly should have been seizing each day for its last drop of joy. What does that say? Instead of waiting to arrive at the station of happiness, we should be happy to wake up alive in the morning. If you can wake up alive, the counter to that is wake up dead, and that doesn't happen. You just don't wake up. To get up every morning, to be able to put your feet on the ground, that ought to make you happy to be able to breathe, even to be able to sneeze, that ought to make you happy. I read a story about one man who, who talked about the joy of pain, 
And somebody said, how could you possibly say that there is joy and pain? He says, I used to work as a doctor in a leper colony. Believe me, it's a joy to feel pain. She goes on to say, the people who scored highly should have been seizing each day for its last drop of joy. Yet Moss found, and this is interesting, that they tended to be less satisfied with their everyday lives and were more likely to have depressive symptoms even in times of relatively low stress. They were depressed. There was so much information that I, I found on this topic that I had to figure out what to include and what not to include. So let me allude to something that I did not include in my sermon. What you find today in society among those, and they put two age groups, 10 to 12, so 10 to 14 and 14 to 19. They said in the group from 10 to 12, higher cases, and, they, and, they, and the study shows that from the time that MySpace a social media platform as old. I don't know if anybody's still on MySpace. <laughs> From the time that was introduced, 10 to 12-year-old, 10 to 14-year-olds started experiencing higher incidences of depression and rejection and feeling left out and feeling ostracized. But the other part is even more frightening. From the 14 to the 19-year-olds, they said suicides went up 76% because of their exposure to social media, because they could not handle not being liked. They went down a path of an illusion, thinking that friends are really friends, when in fact it's nothing but, say it, an illusion. But something also is happening in the religious community. Religious leaders are also selling the same thing. Rather than, rather than presenting Jesus and the free gift of eternal life. If you listen to many other preachers today, they're selling happiness. Your ship is going to come in. Your butterfly wings are going to spread. You're going to rise to the top of the corporate ladder. God never promised to rise to the top of the corporate ladder. He promised that through his grace, we can rise above the power of sin. One of those early positive thinkers was a man by the name of Dr. Norma Vince, Norman Vincent Peale. He wrote a book called The Power of Positive Thinking. There was also a man by the name of Reverend Ike. He's an African-American man who followed Dr. Norman Vincent Peale and he became the power of positive thinking guru for the African-American community. Also, Dr. Robert Schuller, we sing at his church, the Crystal Cathedral. This is the day that the Lord has made. I have nothing against these individuals personally, but they were not presenting the gospel as it is in Christ, and they were saying to us, that if you follow the elusive path of happiness, if you follow the path of positive thinking, it can produce a permanent and optimistic attitude. Well, you can have a permanent and optimistic attitude, but not even know who the person of Christ is. 
As I said, through affirmations and visualizations, think of what it will cause, think of what it will take to make you happy and pursue that. Rather than pursuing holiness and godliness and peace. In the survey, a lot of medical, there was a group of seven medical professionals that studied one of the particular books, The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. And they said, this book was nothing but a compilation of his own ideologies and suggestions, nothing based on any kind of medical science and data that, that proves that this positive thinking attitude can ward off diseases. He even said that some of the reasons why people get sick is because they don't think of God as able to prevent them from getting sick. But we've heard some of the same foolishness during COVID. Whatever camp you're in, there's a responsibility to do what you must and leave the results to God. Dr. Norman Vincent Peale said, don't do what you must. Just throw it all on God and he'll do all the rest. Jesus paid it all, but Jesus didn't do it all. There's some things that we must do. And in Dr. Norman Vincent Peale's book, he said, through affirmation and visualization, you can have a higher level of satisfaction and a higher quality of life. Now, let me add something here. It is good to meet people that are positive. Can you say amen to that? I don't like to meet people when you say happy Sabbath and and, you know, how was your day? Be careful when you ask certain people that. Because some people, some people will tell you all the bad things that happened to them, how their cat ate their lunch, and, you know, they lost their car keys, and they were walking down the road, and their phone fell into a drain. And I, I had one day like that in New York City. I got up one morning. I was working at Bank of America, and it started raining. I had on my suit like I dressed now on my way to Bank of America. I went outside. It was pouring down rain. Tracy, I had this gigantic golf umbrella. And I, as I stepped outside, it was cold. It was rainy. And I said, now what else could go wrong? I shouldn't have said that. As I was crossing the street, I got attacked by a German shepherd dog. And had it not been for that big golf umbrella that I held every direction, long enough for the owner to gain access to his leash and save my life. And on my way to the subway, I said, that was horrible. What else can go wrong? I got arrested that day <laughs> before I got to work. I got arrested and falsely accused by a police officer, I said. And I had the nerve. See, I wasn't converted yet. And I had the nerve to say to him, if I lose my job, I'm coming after you. Well, he took me to jail anyway, and I was in a cell for about maybe two hours. And I stood before the judge, and the judge says, and why are you here? You know, that's how they talk in New York instead of saying, how do you plead guilty or not guilty? He said, and why are you here? And I, I explained to the, Your Honor, well, you know, you got to be very respectful. Your Honor, here's the situation. And he said, get out of my court. Go to, go, go to work. And I went to work, and I, I didn't tell my supervisor what happened. Because I was working at a bank. Come on, help me out. You get arrested and working at a bank? I since then confessed for lying to my supervisor. But I want to tell you, be careful when you expose yourself to circumstances. And with this negative attitude, you continue. Because some people, by their attitude, 
by the way they sense life and by the way they feel, they could actually become their own worst enemy by anticipating things that really will not happen, but everything that happens to them goes from a molehill to a mountain. So there's some benefit of a happy attitude. But when you read the Word of God, the truest happiness that we can find, the truest joy that we can ever experience, comes not necessarily in a positive attitude, but in the promises that Jesus made to us. Notice John 15, verse 11. This is a promise. This is a promise. And by the way, I want you to notice the word he uses. He doesn't use happiness. He uses the word joy. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may what? Remain Remain in you. Illusions don't remain. They come and go. And that your joy may be what? Full. Illusions don't ever fill up your space. They keep you running for the next elusive thing. Illusion is also the byproduct of elusive. You never catch it. It's like Hosea chapter 2, where the Lord says, you'll pursue your lovers, but you'll never overtake them. This is constant pursuit. That's why when you drive down the highway, and it's so sad, I'm so glad that God, somebody gave God the, somebody that God gave someone the, the fortitude to put up a sign as you're driving towards St. Louis. My wife and I, <laughs> you know, we, do, we said, look at all those cars, look at all those cars, all those men driving over to this smut club and I'm so glad that God, some, God inspired somebody to put a big sign there, repent. <laughs> you ever see that big black sign? Repent. They ought to see that when they get off that elusive exit. Amen, somebody. <laughs> Trying to find happiness in a place that's nothing but darkness and unfulfilling. But don't, don't make a mistake. Happiness and joy are not the same. That's why the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not happy to be in trials, but why does it say count it all joy? It's because when you are in trials and God is there with you, he can, he can lead you into furnaces and bring you out unscathed. He can allow you to face furnaces that are seven times hotter than the average furnace, and you can come out with not even the smell of smoke on your garments. He can give you an all-expense-paid night in the dungeon with a bunch of lions. And you can come out in the morning and say, we had some great conversation. That's God. Can you say amen? Happiness and joy are not the same. Happiness is an illusion that does not remain in us. But joy not only remains in us, but it keeps us full. That's why you ought to pursue joy in your marriage. Do I need to wait five more minutes? <laughs> Amen, somebody. Because if you don't have joy in your marriage, you're going to start looking for happiness, and it's elusive. It doesn't happen. You'll be at a grinding mill somewhere with the eyes plucked out. I was watching a, a documentary called The Social Dilemma, and this was powerful. This was a powerful statement. I want you to see this. Edward Tuft, who was one of the contributors to this documentary called The Social Dilemma, he said, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. Are you ready for the rest of it? 
If you are not using the software, the software is using you. Unlike Microsoft Word and Microsoft PowerPoint and Adobe Photoshop and Adobe Illustrator, these are softwares that professionals use. But Facebook is using you. Instagram is using you. No amens necessary. Snapchat and TikTok are designed to use you. You should listen to the testimony of these gentlemen that are behind the development of this industry. One of the contributors, and I didn't put this in there, but I could tell you based on what I watched in this Social Dilemma documentary, the guy that was on the developing team for Instagram, he wrote the code to create Instagram and said, and we, when he got home, he became a victim of the very code he wrote. So he had to write code to deliver himself from the code he wrote to capture everybody else. He said, I found myself walking around my house with my phone in my hand. My phone was with me in the closet, in the bathroom, at the kitchen table, and my children were trying to get my attention, and I was captured by the very software I designed to capture other people. Reminds me of the guy that was a chief maker of chains for criminals. People went to him. He was a blacksmith that was good at making chains. Because people said, I like your chains because everybody else's chains, criminals find a way to get out of the handcuffs. But I like your chains because they are without, without fault. They are perfect. They are good. They work very well. One day, this man became so wealthy and so well-known and so famous that he decided to go down the wrong path and got arrested for a crime he began to commit. And he went to jail and he got chained in jail. And the thought came to him, well, I can get out of this chain because most guys make chains that are not that good. Only to realize he was chained by a chain that he made. <laughs> you see, sometimes we are chained to the chain that we make. And we don't even know it. We get there because we fail to realize that we are being used rather than guiding our own experiences. There's a lot to the world of illusions. We're just touching the surface. But our world is a world of illusions designed to inspire the pursuit of shadows while ignoring the substance. People are looking for things that are not there. That's why they drink themselves into an inoculation, into a place where they're inebriated. They cannot sense... They, they think that by getting inebriated, the problem goes away only to realize that when they are sober, the problem is still there. And the use of illegal drugs and whatever the form of the, of, the, of the inducement may be, they only come to realize that when it is over, when they're back to their right mind, the thing that they were pursuing hasn't gone anywhere. There's a book called Digital Invasion. And my wife did a little experiment yesterday, and I'm only telling to you because she did the experiment. Because we talk a lot when I'm working on my sermon and we go through a lot of different things. And we thought about the development of this addictive world and how there's such darkness in the world today. She said, she asked me, she says, I wonder if Playboy still produces a magazine. 
You know what my answer was? I don't know. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Come and help me out. I have no idea. <laughs> Amen, God. It, it's ridiculous. Amen, Ryan. It's ridiculous. Why do I need Playboy? Have you seen my wife? I got a Playboy bunny, a divine, go godly woman. I won't even call a bunny. She's a gift from God. So she said, I'm going to look it up. So she looked it up and found out that Playboy went out of business in 2020 because they realized they can't sell these magazines anymore because it has gone underground on your phone, your devices. There was a time that we had to pursue the illusions, but the devil has worked it out, so now the illusion is pursuing you. So while you rejoice that you live in the country, the devil says, I know how to go to the country. One of the developers of Facebook, a young Indian gentleman, he says, I do not allow my children to have phones at all. Even Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, their children don't have phones because they know why they have designed those devices. That's why they're called devices. Vices, devices. Let me say it another way, the vices. If you don't use your phone for the right reasons, your phone is going to use you for the wrong reasons. Your devices will use you for the wrong reasons. We talk about the new world order. Let me, let me introduce you to the new world order. Here is the new world order, the digital new world order. That's our world. That's the world that your child has access to when they pick up that phone. Do you think that there's something out there that might not be good for them? Do you see the guy standing in front of that wall? When they pick up that phone, when you give them that phone, you think that you've given them the best gift in the world. As Simon Sinek says, it's like saying to a child under 18, there's the, there's the cabinet of alcohol, drink as much as you want. Because there's no no filter when you put a phone in the hand of a mind that is not guided by godly principles. And even when they are guided by godly principles, the world is pursuing them. That's why sometimes you may see in your email something that you're not even thinking about, and it prompts you to click on it, and before you know it, your phone is locked down, and you've got to pay for somebody to get your phone back because illusions come after you. Here's the new world order. I call this other one. You have the whole world in your hands. In your hands. Somebody once said there's more, there's more computing power in a wristwatch than there was in the first space shuttle that made it to the moon. Can you imagine the computing power? And they're not satisfied. 5G is here, but there are companies already working on 10G. Because they want to get information to you so rapidly, the human body is not designed to handle that kind of information at that rate of speed. You can't assimilate it. It's coming at you too fast. So what does it do? It disorients you. If you try to handle it, you find out very quickly it's going to handle you. And you cannot handle the whole world that is in your hand from day to day. This one I call the digital innovation. You could pick whatever you want. There was a time they called it the sling. You can 
go on the train, you'd be on the bus, you'd be on the plane. And most people today, when you stand at a subway or in some kind of public place at a dinner or a restaurant, most people's heads are down at their devices rather than looking across at the person in front of them. That's why these guys that are in that world, they say, when they go to lunch, five guys go to lunch, they said, only one person takes a phone just in case the office needs to contact them. They said, we need sanity because we know what we created. So they don't even, they don't even put their phone on the table when they go to lunch. They said, one guy has a phone just in case the office needs to get in touch with us, but we don't take our phones with us. Whatever happened to normalcy? There was a time that you could get in your car and you can be at peace until you get to your destination. But even in your car nowadays, bing, text. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, bing. All these sounds grabbing for your attention. I saw in the same documentary, The Social Dilemma, there was a little boy who just could not put his phone down and his mother bought a box, a, a, a glass box with a timer on it and she said to the daughter, give me your phone and to the husband, give me your phone and to the son, give me your phone and we're going to put that in this box and we're going to dial it and it's locked for one hour. You cannot have it for one hour because we're going to eat dinner together. And the first question is, what are we going to do? Why don't we try to eat maybe? Why don't we try to get familiar with each other? I'm your mom. You're my daughter. You're my mom. Yeah, and he's your dad. Remember us? Well, in the, in the social dilemma, they talked about this real scenario they tried out. And 15 minutes into the dinner, the, the, they, heard a, they, they heard that sound. Ding! And the daughter said, Mom, could I, could I just go look and see who, who it was? Could I, could I go just look and see where the text came from? And they heard this crashing sound. The daughter took that jar and threw it to the ground and broke it just to get her phone out 15 minutes into the dinner. You're talking about an addict? You think drug addiction is bad? Our young folk are more addicted to their phones than any drug that has ever been manufactured. The digital invasion. And here's the other one. The pursuit of elusive acceptance. That's why Instagram said they have discovered that they had been blamed by the Congress had called these developers of these instruments to Congress and said, you are purposefully, you are purposefully designing this software to gain access to our children. So what they did is they took away the like button for Instagram so that people can't see how many views they get because people were addicted to the views. They do stuff like walk on the edge of a building jump from one building to the next, stand up on a tower 105 stories above the ground just to get a like. And in, in some of these instances, young people lose their lives because they are, they are in a pursuit of the elusive acceptance of an illusion. Susanna Kolbling from BBN Times, November 11th, 2020, wrote this article, very, very telling about social media. She says, social media is an undisciplined pursuit of more. It's about the number of impressions and constantly filtering out the relevant from the non-relevant. It's the antidote 
to less of less but better. Social media is fundamentally portraying our highlights, creating a shortcut to success. Let me go on. It denounces the genuine interactions we used to have, like actually talking face to face. Most influencers choose to post about a trending topic and speak less on the real problems in our world today. Once you put something on the internet, here we go. There's no turning back. Selective posting eradicates freedom. Influencers have a fear of being judged and scrutinized. There is an uncomfortable feeling of voicing our opinion about real conflicts and tragedies. Posting the positive side of their lives is nothing more than together. An illusion. You try to go on the internet and talk about a real issue. You'll be attacked like you're a dead piece of meat and you're in the, in the jungle and there are nothing but vicious lions all around you. We can't even be real in our world today for fear of being attacked, scrutinized, judged because we simply want to express something that is real and genuine. And that has been developed by this elusive pursuit of something that never satisfies. You see, illusions are designed to produce surface satisfaction. And one thing that you must keep in mind is illusions never bring satisfaction. That's why the Apostle Paul told his protege, Timothy. Let's read this together, very short. 1 Timothy 6, 6. Together, now godliness with what? Contentment is what? Great gain. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say... Contentment with great gain is godliness. Or didn't say great gain with contentment is godliness. What comes first, friends? Being content to be godly is great gain. You know why? Because when the day comes that your eyes close until one of, the first, one of the two resurrections, you can't take any of that stuff with you. That's why your pastor has focused on specifically talking about character development. That's the only thing we're taking to the kingdom when Jesus comes. But we are so distracted. I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away. I don't know what else to do to try to get folk to even participate in a Wednesday night Bible study. I don't even know. Maybe we should offer free cell phones. <laughs> I'm just amazed that we can be so busy. As one writer said, if you're too busy for God, something in your life has to be given away to make room for God. I'm going to use... My, my dear friend Evelyn Haney as our teacher, as an example. Remember when Evelyn was teaching before she left and then she's come back, but I remember one day she approached me and she said, Pastor, something's got to give. Either I have to stop teaching or I need some more time so I could start my day with God. And my schedule is so cramped that I don't have time for devotions. You got more time. My brethren, it is amazing. It's a praise God when people know and realize they need more time with them and God. But how many people are willing to say, if this job doesn't allow me more, if this job does not allow me the time I need with God, I need to give the job up because my time with God is more important. 
How many people will do that with their phones? I need to put this phone down because it's robbing my time with God. And when you decide to study your Bible, please don't use your phone as your Bible because right next to your Bible is Facebook and next to that is Instagram and your friends don't care about your Bible study so they're going to send you a notification in the midst of you reading John 3.16. And guess what's going to happen? You get to the middle of John 3.16 and spend the rest of the time on your notification responding. They even said... They're so clever in the community. They said these doctors of physics and psychology get together to try to find out how they can addict their customers even deeper. So instead of sending you the picture that they tagged you in, which would seem sensible, they just send you a notification that they tagged you in a picture. Because they said it's about behavior modification. They want to teach you how to behave. So they say, instead of saying, here's the picture that I have tagged you in, they said, don't send them the picture because we want them to hit that button so while they're on the way to the picture to find out what you tag them in or what, what they tagged you in, you go past all these commercials on the way and our advertisers got what they need. And they said it's done intentionally. Spiritual illusion never reveals the true reason for our existence. Thus the turn in my sermon here. Sp illusions never reveal truth, but spiritual illusions never reveal the real reason why we are here. I like what J.I. Packer said in his book called Knowing God. He said, once you become aware that the main reason that you are here is for, the main reason you are here is to know God, once you realize that the main reason you are here is to, mo to know God, most of, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. Now, what do you mean by that? I don't mind facing a problem as long as I have God with me in it. Because I said earlier, God sometimes used that problem or that conflict to sand down the rough areas of your life. But he says, once you become aware that the main reason that you are here is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. In other words, knowing God, when you get to the point of knowing God, knowing God forces you on a journey beyond the illusion of Christianity. And whether you did not know it, this was not just about social media because Christianity also is packed with illusions. Feeling holy, but not pursuing holiness. Singing to the glory of God, but living to the glory of the devil. Saying, I love you, Lord, but I'm not keeping your commandments. The illusion of Christianity, that's why the Bible describes the last day church as rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We will not make it to the kingdom based on our natural talents. We will only make it based on the righteous character of Christ. So you may feel good. You may even come to tears because the song moves you. That's a good thing. I was a singer. I understand how that works. Sometimes a song could bring you to Christ where a sermon cannot. But don't allow the song to become the end in and of itself. If it doesn't lead you to a life of obedience, it's nothing more than an illusion, a feeling. The constant pursuit of illusions will destroy your pursuit of God. Here's how I know that. Look at Luke 16 and verse 13. This is a fact. No servant 
can serve how many masters? Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And it ends by talking about God and mammon. The reason I didn't need that part is because we have to decide who is going to be the master of our lives. It's amazing how we have allowed this thing that's simply for the purpose of communicating to become our master. Have you noticed in the bulletin we say, turn off your cell phones? I'm going to have a sermon one day, and I'm going to say, before you come in, you have to submit your cell phone to us. You've got to leave your cell phones in the foyer. I wonder how many people will go home. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> when we went to Washington, D.C., we were on a personal tour of Washington, D.C. We had a privilege to go into the most secure room in the world, the, the, the situation room. They said, now, but there's one clause. You can't take any cell phone in that room. Okay, here it is. Which master has preeminence in your life? Because daily, you got two masters. Let me tell you how deceptive this one is. It's coming at you, and this one's waiting for you to come after it. God's not going to run after you and force you to be in his life. He's going to say, I want to know if you want me to be in your life. This one will bring you information in splits and nanoseconds, but this one is like a gold mine that takes time. And when you dig for it, you're a little, you should read the Bible till it makes you sweat. Till the scripture starts saying, yes. My wife and I read the Bible sometimes. Woo, that was, that was deep. We go back and we highlight and we highlight, right, honey? We say, wait a minute, read that again. Unbelievable. Unbe amazing. You want something that will last and that will hold you, that has real calories? It's God's word. Come back over here. <laughs> you go over there. God's word. No empty calories in God's word. What do you say, church? But it is a satanic delusion that to believe that anyone can serve God while they are a willing prisoner in a digital cell. Did it not dawn on you why they call it cell phones? <laughs> you thought they were talking about the tower. That's an illusion. It's your place of incarceration. What's your cell number? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got a cell number. It is for functioning in normal aspects of life. It was never intended by the makers to become your cell. But I'm going to get a little deeper now. Just got a short left. I'm almost done. I understand you guys are starving to death. So I'm mindful of that. When God's children were in bondage in Egypt, what was God's message to Pharaoh? Look at it in Exodus 8 and verse 1. It's very short. God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, what did he say? Let my people go that they may do what? Serve me. It's amazing how God brings things to my mind, Terry, in different ways. See, the problem today is many claiming to be God's children 
are slaves in digital Egypt. And they don't want to let go that they may serve God. So while I'm saying, see, then they wanted to be freed from Egypt. But today, Egypt has made itself so desirable. You can look at as many pictures on Instagram. You can get rheumatoid arthritis texting. You could go absolutely nuts until all the dopamine in your body has been drained and you hit the floor and you are depressed and you're only 16 and you're getting psychological counseling because you have not yet been able to accomplish what you thought that that text would bring you. And all those friends can't visit you in the hospital. Second reason why spiritual illusions are bad, spiritual illusion is satisfaction with a divided heart. You may have heard about Lugiglio. He wrote a book called Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. This is a powerful quotation. Here's what he said. He said, God wants to be known by you. You and you can know as much about him as you have the appetite and desire to know. But you have to have the appetite. Nobody could feed you stuff that you don't have the appetite for. Am I right, Wendy? I can't force you to eat what you don't want. That, 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 when I read that, I said, thank you, Lou. I understand why people don't like Bible studies, because they don't have an appetite for it. They're too busy. That's why one day, Amos talks about it, one day there'll be a famine in the land, not for bread and water, but for the hearing of the word of God. And then everybody's going to want to go to Bible studies. They'll search from north to south, east to west, and they won't find it. But in this relatively peaceful environment where God has given each one of us an opportunity to come up higher, we prefer staying down low. And the reason why you can't find God, Jeremiah tells us right here in Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. All your heart. But how can you find me if most of your heart is occupied by something else? It's a hard issue. In the book, Maranatha, page 76, this is what started this sermon. My wife and I read this. We like to read at night. We read in the morning. We read our Bibles together. And we always like to read something spiritual before we go to bed. Sometimes I said, let me read you something. She said, mm-hmm. She draws up real close to me. We turn the light off. And the only light we see is, as we're reading on our phone, reading Ellen White. <laughs> Not Facebook. People say to me, didn't you... Did you know who's in the hospital? I said, no. They said it was on Facebook. I don't go to Facebook to find out who's sick. Doesn't that seem odd to anybody? Whatever happened to so-and-so? Oh, they had a, you know, they're, they're in surgery. Well, how do you know? It was on Facebook. When do, when do we stop communicating like normal people? Like, can I get a phone call? You're sick. That was not in the sermon. I just want to add that. No extra charge. But here's the point. Maranatha, page 76. This, I couldn't sleep when I read this. As a matter of fact, if you go on my phone, you'll see I stayed up till after 1 o'clock putting just note after note after note. This is the right use of a phone. Thank God for that. Yeah, note after note after note. I put this whole long thing together of, of my sermon's on here too, of just note after note. I said, honey, she said, while I was sleeping, I said, while you were sleeping, I was just searching the scriptures. 
quote after quote after quote. She said, how much do you have for your sermon? I said, well, I have so much for my sermon, I've got to figure out where to pare it down. So I, I cut my sermon down by one whole page today, so you'll be getting out soon. <laughs> but you're not getting out before this quote. Only, what's that first word? Only, Maranatha, page 76, paragraph one. Only by knowing God here can we prepare to meet him at his coming. But many of those who profess to believe in Christ do not know God. They have only a surface religion. They do not love God. They do not study his character. Therefore, they do not know how to trust, how to look and live. They don't know. So when trial comes, you find these folk at the nearest water fountain trying to figure out, how can I get relief? When they could have been at the feet of Jesus, having joy amid the temporary disappointments of life. Which brings me to my third point. Spiritual illusions lead to spiritual delusions. You see, when you profess to live as a Christian, but your life is completely altogether different, when your profession and your life are in conflict, you don't know God. When your profession and your life are opposite, when what you profess and how you live are not the same, you don't know God. There is no excuse. Here's the, here's the evidence. Of Titus 1 and verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works, what happens? They deny him. I'm a Christian. You don't live like one. You don't make choices like one. You don't act like one. We are the fruit of the Christian life. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Being abominable, what else? Disobedient and disqualified for every good work. You ain't getting to heaven on the label. You only get into heaven on the righteous character of Christ. And I think the reason why spiritual dedication is at an all-time low is many Christians are working for Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. That's a danger we have to prevent down here. Right, Janelle? Right, Don? Right, Ryan? We're working all week long. Bible Q&A, Sabbath school, pre preaching on air. That's dangerous when we think that that is our fulfillment of our relationship with Christ. That's not our fulfillment. That's our call to lead others. If you can feed people and die of starvation yourself, that's why Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23 is a caution to those of us that are busy doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven this is challenging. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied or preached in your name? Hmm. And cast out demons in your name? Hmm. And done many wonders in your name? And look at this. And then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice lawlessness. Thank you for working for me, but I don't even know who you are. Thank you for preaching. Uh, people are going to be saved by your work, but you're nothing more than a vehicle because I don't even know who you are. 
You see, spiritual activity is not a substitute for a life dedicated to Christ. You could be good at what you do, but that will not get you to the kingdom. How do I know that? Look at the danger of illusions to those who are very spiritual. Luke 18, verse 10 to 13. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. But the tax collector, I fast. What's the first word in that sentence? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But here's humility. And the tax collector and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, the inability, the inability to see one's true condition and the practice of self-praise is based on the illusion of I. I do this, I do that, I can do this, I can do that, I am well known here, I am well known there. And the Lord says, you and your I won't get you a quarter of an inch off the ground. But when we understand who we are, and the greatest challenge today is people to see themselves. That's why this quotation is very powerful. Just got two more and then I'm done. Here it is, Review and Herald. February 1, 1898, paragraph 11. Ellen White was not around in 1989. I would have loved to meet her, but she wasn't here. Very, very typo. Listen to this. Many professed Christians will be seduced by Satan's delusions. There is safety only in continually seeking counsel of God, refusing to receive the praise of anyone. Watch out when your head can no longer get through the doorway of your house. Embracing the mind by the knowledge of the Word of God. Receiving thorough, diligent study. Received through diligent study. Watch this. Then, Satan's, what's the next word? Illusions may be resisted. The application of spiritual truth to the heart and conscience by the Holy Spirit's agency is saving in its influence. If the Spirit of God is working in your life, God is able to bring you to the place out of Satan's illusions into God's true knowledge and righteousness. You see, spiritual illusions is the pandemic of the last day church. The only cure for a spiritual pandemic is a vaccination from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Finally, Satan's final attempt to distract us by and lead us to be dedicated to many illusions 
If that's the case, we won't be ready to, for this last statement. There's one statement that I want to make when Jesus comes. And here's my closing text. I'm inviting the praise team to come on up. Because we want to end by singing more about Jesus. There's a particular passage in the Bible that I want to be able to say when Jesus comes back. And I pray that our desire to be delivered from the illusions of this world will get us to the place that this passage expresses our future desire. Isaiah 25 and verse 9. And it will be said in that day. Now I want to show you the difference. Behold, this is our God? No. No. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. But here's the hook. How can you be waiting for someone that you don't spend time with and don't know? That's the danger today. You want a shocking statement? Harriet Tubman said this, and I think it's true to the Christian today. Harriet Tubman said, I freed, a I freed a thousand slaves. I could have freed a thousand more if they only knew that they were slaves. That's powerful. Some of you, I've appealed to you to give your life to Christ, but you don't even know you're a slave. Therefore, you don't desire freedom. That's my wife's contribution to the sermon. We do the sermons together. I freed a thousand slaves. On the day of final account, there are going to be those in the wrong crowd saying, I remember, that, I remember that evangelistic appeal. I remember that Bible study. I remember that opportunity. I remember the day when the appeal was there, but I didn't respond. And there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But I'm going to ask you today, I'm going to end with the most non-elusive passage in the Bible. And here it is. You want eternal life? Here it is. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Can I ask a question today? How many of you can stand and say, I want to know more about Jesus? I want to know more about Jesus. How many of you could stand and say that today? I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about his word. I don't need to know about his plan for my life. I just need to know him and his plan for my life will be clear. I don't need to understand how he's doing things or what he's going to do next. I just simply want to be able to know more about Jesus. So as our praise team sings the first and last stanza of more about Jesus, I want this to be our dedication today because the devil doesn't want you to know more about Jesus. He wants you to wait for the next social media platform and take you down another elusive path to an unsatisfied journey. You'll feel all the things that you may want to feel, but in the end, you will feel what you don't want to feel. Disappointment, discouragement, sadness, disaster. When in fact... Jesus Christ came to deliver us from the illusions of this world to deliver us into the true, honest, and eternal kingdom that awaits for all of us.
more about Jesus. today there's somebody here that says you know I do want more about Jesus I want more because I sense that I'm on that path and today I want to make a right turn I want to get back on that path where my life can be more fulfilled my heart can be more at peace that I won't be searching for something that is going to leave me empty and disappointed and depressed but I want to know who Christ is so that when he comes He won't have any problem recognizing me because we have been in touch all along. Is there somebody here today that says, I want that deeper connection with Christ. I want that deep abiding. Yes, my brother. Yes, my sister. Yes, yes. It's yours. It's yours. Don't be so busy that that somehow the week comes to an end and you say, oh, hmm, yeah, we're going to church today. Anybody can go to church but not everybody in church is going to heaven. The Lord wants to get you out of this building into his eternal kingdom, and he'll only be able to do that if you say no to the illusions and yes to the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you're more determined to save us than sometimes we are willing to be saved. And your spirit has been battling with us, wooing us, speaking to us. He has been patiently working on our hearts of the young and the old and everybody in between. Because there's the day of reckoning coming. When all the illusions of life, the curtain will be lifted on them all. And behind it, we'll see the, the deceiver, the arch enemy, the adversary. Laughing with hellish joy that he has managed to snatch someone from the promise of eternity. Lord, may it not be us. May no no one in the sound of my voice or even those watching be, be people that miss out on the greatest joy. That's not an illusion, but 
As the Apostle Paul says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men the things that God prepares for those that love Him. So Lord, send us from this place on a pursuit of godliness, of true lasting joy that will sustain us on the cloudy and the rough days, that will give us assurance when the answers are not coming quickly enough, that will say to us, endure to the end and you will be saved, not in spite of it, but even in light of it. And finally, Father, when we stand before you on that glorious morning, may we be in that group that says, this is our God. We have been waiting for you, Lord, and we cannot wait to go home with you. May that be our desire, but may that also be our experience. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen, amen and amen.